Good morning, all. Great to see you. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks uh, for coming to week number two of Upside Down. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll project these words on the screen for you. I'm going to uh, read a portion of a story which some of you are familiar with about uh, a set of twins, brothers, Jacob and Esau. And we want to look at specifically at this moment when Esau sold his birthright for some stew, a, a bowl of stew. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to begin reading at verse 29 to 34. And this is our custom here at Union Chapel. I'll invite you to stand to hear God's word as you're able to do so. Genesis 25, beginning at verse 29. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that is why he was also called Edom. Edom means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. May God inspire us today through this important story. You may be seated. You may recall that last week we started this series off with the teachings of Jesus, a very, very powerful verse of Scripture when Jesus said there is a broad road, a very wide road, and many people are on that road. Now, here's the bad news. That road, he said, leads to destruction. The end is not good if you stay on the broad, wide road. But he also said that there's a narrow road, it's a very defined road. And he said, the good news here is that this road actually leads to life. Not only abundant life here, but eternal life there. This narrow road leads to life. But he said, very few people actually get on that road. Now, we, we know that many of you, many of us, were on that wide and broad road. We were. But we had the courage to say yes to Jesus Christ. And we became followers of Jesus. And as we have begun to follow Jesus, there are people who just look at us and say, well, you're different. You're odd. You're out of step. You're upside down. You're, you're not in the mainstream. You're not going with the flow. But we don't care about that because we have learned that normal, that broad and wide road, which most people, many people are on, normal doesn't work. It's broke. It's overwhelmed. It's spiritually bankrupt. It dysfunctions. We know that the broad road leads to destruction. And so we have chosen a narrow road. Today I want to talk about desires and choices. You've heard from the journals of some of our prisoners their story of choices that they've made in their lives. Decision points, crossroads moments in their own lives. And today we want to talk about desires and choices because it's so normal to give in to normal and natural desires, to the impulses that come so easily to us. And I want to just contrast between what normal people on the broad road do with their desires and what different people, upside down people do, those few people do as they submit their desires to God. This uh, theme verse, this theme 
statement for this series. It's on the top of your outline. If you're taking notes, you'll want to fill in these blanks. And it's simply this. If you want what normal people have, then do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, then do what few people do. If you want what normal people have, do what normal folks do. If you want what the few have, do what few people do. It's, uh, it's clear, and you can see all through the Bible, that normal people give in to their lower desires. It's true. We find it in the first story of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God says, look, you can enjoy any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, but there's this one fruit that comes on this one tree. Please avoid that. Avoid that tree. You can, you can enjoy all the other. And of course, the devil then comes to Eve and says, isn't that a beautiful fruit? And isn't this going to advance and enhance your life? And don't you want some? And she gives in to her natural desires. Consequences follow. Fast forward to Moses. You all know the story of Moses. When he was living as an Egyptian prince, he saw another Egyptian soldier mistreating one of the Hebrews who were enslaved there. And his desires, he was enraged and, and revenge filled his heart. And so he went over and he, he killed the referee who ripped off the Colts on Monday Night Football. <laughs> Wait a minute, no, no, I got those two stories mixed up. He, he actually killed one of the Egyptian soldiers. Yeah, he gave in to his desires. King David, who should have been with his army in the spring during the time of war, Standing on his balcony one evening and looking down and saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing in the sunlight and the moonlight. And he said, I want some of that. And he arranged to do so because he gave in to his desires. And that's what normal people do. For you, it might be that you get angry and you explode and you rationalize it and you justify it and you try to push it off. But that's the way you give in to your desires. And it may be that you, you get hungry and you eat and you eat and you eat some more and you rationalize that and you justify it. And may, it might be that you have sexual desires that have gotten out of control and unmanaged and it threatens to destroy your life. First John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 gives us a list of three things that, that are the source of our natural instinct to do something that's actually destructive to our lives. And John writes in this short letter of 1 John in chapter 2, he says, There is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh, of course, is physical pleasure. I want to have fun. If it feels good, I am going to do it. I want to enjoy my life, and I don't care the consequences. And so people succumb to the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the eye is, I don't have one of those. I see it with my eyes. I want one. I've got to have that thing. I need these things to be happy. And so the lust of the eye captures us. And the impulse is to embrace something that appeals to us when we see it. And the third desire is what the Bible calls pride. Pride of life. Now, what, what would that be? Well, our pride in our achievements and our possessions is what is implied here. And somehow we think that if I can, if I can just possess more things and I can accumulate more nice things that people will acknowledge that and somehow think of me successful, or if I can achieve at a certain level and climb the ladder and get to a certain status in life, then people will respect me and I will be successful in their eyes. But as we all know, the Scripture says that most of the things that we desire in this way that are the pride of life are things that actually won't help us all that much. 
But instead, if we will, if we will follow the mandate of God for our lives and, does, and do what pleases Him, that is what leads to life. We see this all the time. Normal people giving in to what they desire. They follow their own appetites. They follow their own cravings. So what I want to do this morning is simply and briefly contrast the difference between what normal people on the broad road tend to do and what, what different people, upside down people, tend to do with their own desires. Let's start with this. These two thoughts about normal people. It's on your outline. You might want to write in and fill in these blanks. And that is normal people want what they want now, not later. They want what they want now, not later. Now, we all know we live in an instant gratification generation. I want what I want, and I want it now. We see this illustrated in the story of the prodigal son. We all remember this story. The son, the youngest son, goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. And off he goes into destructive behaviors. It could be the boy and girl, they're snuggling and cuddling and they're enjoying that moment and that experience and they realize the Bible says that that kind of snuggling and cuddling should be reserved for marriage. But they can't wait. They want it now. Maybe the person who knows that the ice cream in the freezer, that's for dessert, for the party tomorrow. But they want some right now. And they can't resist and so they follow their impulse and they go to the ice cream and they eat it all. And not only that, they go out in the freezer and get the extra gallon of Blue Bell and eat all that too because they give in to their desires. It could be that you're really mad at your boss. They have offended you one too many times and you're enraged by it. And so you sit down at the computer and you bang out a message and you decide, I'm going to post that on Facebook. And three days later, you get fired because of the comments you've made. Normal people want, the, want what they want and they want it now. And so they give in to their lower and natural desires. Here's a second thought. Normal people will trade the ultimate for the immediate. They'll trade the ultimate for the immediate. Normal people will exchange the greatness of the future for the immediacy of now. We get back to the story now of Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers, and you know a little bit of their story. Esau was the older brother. He was born first. We know that when when Jacob was born right behind Esau, he actually had a hold of his heel. That's what Jacob means. It means heel grabber. And, and so, so Esau came out first, and then Jacob was right behind him and hanging on. But Esau was the firstborn. And if you know in biblical times, the oldest son would have what was known as the birthright. Now, in other words, just because they were born first, they had a tremendous advantage. At the death of the patriarch, the parent the firstborn would actually receive a double portion of the family inheritance. And not only a double portion there, but they would be placed in a position of power. They would become the patriarch, the executor of the estate, the judge of the family. And Esau, the older brother, had this. And Jacob, the younger brother, was jealous. And so one day when Esau was out, maybe on a hunting trip or something, because Esau, he was a man's man. He was, he was an outdoorsman. He was in every way manly. Jacob, on the other hand, he was a mama's boy. And he was a whiner. And so it's not coincidental that on this day, Esau comes in probably from the field and, and a hunting trip for several days. We find Jacob in the kitchen making some stew. 
And so Esau comes in and he says, I'm famished. Give me some of that stew. And, and so Jacob says, the younger brother replies, hey, hang on a second. First, sell me your birthright. Wow. Esau, the older, says, look, I'm about to die. I'm about to die here. Now, question, do you think Esau is really about to die? No, he's not, he's not on the edge of death. He can go a long time before he's going to die without eating, but he, he's feeling famished. And so he's insistent. Now, can I make a confession to you? I, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I get surly. I, this is probably, I'm the only one with this problem. And I, I am not, and there are times in my, in my, fa- my house when I'll, when I'll say, I'm hungry. And, and Beth, my wife, will say something like, well, there's some food in the kitchen in there. And I said, there's nothing to eat in this house. Have you ever heard yourself say that? She said, there's plenty of stuff in there. There's loads of stuff in there. Help yourself. And at that point, then I say something that and then later I have to apologize for. So... <laughs> I don't, that happens to me. And so Esau goes, I'm about to die. I'm starving. And then he asked this question that seemed so foolish. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? What good is it? I'm so hungry, I've got this need. I really desire that bowl of stew. What good is that birthright to me? Then Esau, the older brother, does something that we would all say is so foolish I mean, think about it. How in the world could anyone be so foolish, so short-sighted, so dense, so dull? Because what he did was he traded his birthright. He traded the ultimate for the immediate. Traded it for a stupid bowl of stew. Think about that. And what do we do? We look at that and we say, who would be so foolish? To trade their birthright for a bowl of stew. And the answer is, normal people do it every single day. Every day, every day, every day. Normal people trade, trade the ultimate for the immediate, and they do it every day. They did it yesterday, they'll do it today, they'll do it t- tomorrow. People are foolish enough to trade the ultimate for an immediate and a distorted desire. I promise you, every single one of you, you know somebody who basically derailed their life with a desire that went unchecked, unmanaged, and they did something foolish. And what happened? They locked in for a moment on that desire, and they forgot about everything else that mattered, because in the moment, the bowl of stew was so important. And that's what normal people do all the time. Bad decisions, bad choices are made every day, because people are acting on what they think they need in the immediate. And they surrender the ultimate could be the woman who just feels like I've got, I've got to have the right look, I've got to have the right appearance, I have the right apparel, I've got to give the right presentation, and so the shoes have to match the belt and match the scarf, and so every day after work she goes and stops somewhere and, and just buys a little something, and before long she has a $37,000 credit card bill. And she says to herself, how in the world did I get here? And the answer is she did it one bowl of stew at a time could be that man that really loves his wife and loves his family, loves his God, 
But late at night, when the family's already in bed, he's sitting at the computer and he's moving the mouse around and he's about to click on something that's going to feed his lust, the wrong part of his life. And so he sets aside his love for her and for them and for him because of a momentary thing. He trades the ultimate for the immediate. Something as stupid as a bowl of stew. Could be the young girl. She really wants a godly husband. She wants desperately to love and to be loved. She wants it so much that a guy comes along and he's a pretty good guy. And she rationalizes that. He's got some good qualities about him. He's not great, but he's, he's a pretty good guy. And she says to him, I love you because she's desperate to love and be loved. And he says back to her, I love you too. And if you love me, then you'll let me. And now she has to decide. And she trades. She trades the ultimate for the immediate. And she, she finds herself then dumped and she feels cheap and she feels used because she traded something that mattered for a stupid bowl of stew. It all happens all the time. Normal people do it all the time. You see it all the time. Men, they really love their families. They want to be a good dad. And so they say, I'm going to love my family by being a great provider. And so this guy spends the next 20 years and he is climbing the ladder and he is making money and he is a great success. And suddenly he wakes up one day and his kids are 24 and 27 and 29 years old. And he realizes he doesn't even know his kids. And his kids don't know him. And he asks himself, how could I have been so foolish? Yeah, sure, they had a bigger house and nice cars to drive, but he realizes he's traded the, 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 the ultimate for the immediate. I traded relationships for accomplishments. Stupid bowl of stew. Who would be so dumb as to trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? Who? And the answer is normal people do it every single day. That's what I want to ask you. I want to pray that you would be honest enough to just, just be truthful enough to search your own heart on this to answer this one simple question. It's on the middle of your outline there, and the question is this. What is your bowl of stew? What is that desire or those desires in your life that you know if left unchecked and unmanaged and undisciplined, threatened to un unhinge, derail your life and separate you from God's best design. I don't know what it might be. For some folks, it's a habit, like a smoking habit, a very difficult habit to kick, very hard. People really struggle with this. And yet you see it all the time. People choose to continue to embrace a habit like that and they lose 15 years off their life and they don't get to see their grandkids grow up. Happens every day of the world. Maybe it's the, it's the woman who has been wounded in her life and now her need is to control, control everyone in her life, control the environment in which she's in. It's the way that she tries to protect herself from further pain. And so she controls her husband and ultimately alienates him and controls her children and alienates them. And then ultimately her grandchildren because she can't relinquish the need to control everything around her. She sacrifices the ultimate for the immediate could be popularity. This is really critical to young people. You want to be liked so much and you're walking away from God and walking away from his best design for your life in order to gain the approval of your friends. By the way, friends that probably won't even be in your life or even in your thoughts five years from now. 
trading the ultimate for the immediate. What's your bowl of stew? Because we all have one. The desires, if left unchecked, unmanaged, can lead us to compromise in what matters most for something that really doesn't matter at all. Normal people, listen, they want what they want now, not later, and they're willing to trade the ultimate for the immediate. But let's contrast now. Let's flip that upside down. There are people who are on this broad and and wide road that leads to destruction, but there are a few people who are on this narrow road which leads to life. And let me try to describe them very, very briefly. Upside down people, they know that later is often better than now. They know that later is often better than now. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 16.32. This is, this, is so, this is so strong. Listen to it. It says, better to be patient than powerful. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than conquer a city. Boy, that's, that's strong. That's rich right there. That's, that's amazing truth. In other words, God may say, hey, I don't mind you having a bowl of stew. Just don't sell your birthright for it. Get it later. Not now. Upside down people know that later is often better than now. And here's what I love about upside down people. They're willing to give up something they want for something they want even more. They're willing to give up something they want now for something they want even more later. That's what upside down people are willing to do. This is especially important value for young people. People in their late teens, in their their 20s, the emerging generation. Listen, you've been trained to get whatever you want right now. I mean, if your smartphone doesn't give you the answer to the question you ask in eight seconds, you're impatient. So, So it's understandable why you would develop this kind of attitude. But you need to understand There is power in waiting. Remember the proverb, better to be patient than powerful. Better. There's power in waiting and doing things in God's timing and in God's way. Don't trade the immediate for the ultimate. Don't do it. When we were raising our boys, this was something, delayed gratification was something that we tried to teach them. We tried all kinds of ways. One of the things I, I did with them when they were three or four years old, is I would set a cookie on one side of the table and set three cookies on the other side of the table. And the, and the little game was this. You may have this one cookie right now, but if you wait an hour, you can have this cookie and the three other cookies. Now I'm going to tell you which is which. I won't give a name to this. But one of, my, one of our sons, when given that choice, always grabbed for the cookie. <laughs> And I thought, well, this is going to take some work (laughs) to get them to understand delayed gratification. The other one, without exception, would say, all right, you're telling me if I wait one hour, I not only get this one cookie, but I get these three others? I said, yeah. He said, I want five others. And so he would always bargain for more. (laughs) So you can see I had, had a challenge with both of those guys. Think about it in terms of finances in our culture. What's normal? Normal's broke, normal's in debt, upside down. People rather know that later is often better than now when it comes to finances. A student asked the business professor, what's the number one piece of financial advice you'd give me to build wealth? And the professor astutely said that most people buy liabilities now, he said, but wealthy people buy assets first and liabilities later. 
Now, let me just interpret that. And a liability is something that goes down in value. It's a depreciating asset. So, for example, you go buy a new car for $30,000. As soon as you drive it off, the, you've just paid $30,000 for a new car. You drive it off the lot, and before you get to the first stoplight, it's now worth $26,000. You buy a new shirt, costs $40. You wear it one time. You know what it's worth now? 57 cents. And so normal people buy first things that are liabilities. But wise people, the few people, different people, upside down people, they buy assets first. And an asset is something that appreciates in value. It goes up in value. And so you, you ask yourself, what could I invest in that will actually appreciate and go up over time? That's what wise people do. And, that, and, and so what normal people do is they buy liabilities. And what upside down people do is, is they buy assets. Uh, you take the subject of sex, for example. What does the world say today? The world says, get it and get it now. If it feels good, do it. Why wait? Get it going. Get it on. Get it done. There is no, there is no process of, of, ac- of, uh, of, of bonding and and nurturing a relationship. There are no important steps to take in order to get to a final consummation of a relationship that way. You start there. Just jump in and go for it. That's that's what the world teaches. And here's what upside-down people do. Upside-down people wait because God says that later is better than now. Remember Remember the proverb again? Better to be patient. Better to be patient. So upside down people get it. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, this is really where it gets important. Upside down people, they seek God until his desires become their desires. His desires become their desires. In Psalm 37, 4, there's this wonderful verse. You've heard it. You've heard it before. And it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You've heard that, haven't you? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's the key. The word translated delight from the Hebrew of the original text in Psalm 37 is a word anag, A-N-A-G. And it is translated to enjoy or to seek or to delight in. Uh, So as you're seeking God, you're enjoying God, you're delighting in your relationship with God, what happens is, by implication, is that you become soft and pliable. It's like you're a, you're, you were a, an old, dry piece of clay. But as you begin to delight in the Lord and enjoy Him and serve Him and worship Him and esteem Him, it's like He puts water on you and, you, and it begins to soften you up and to make you more pliable and malleable in His hands. And so you become the clay and He becomes the potter. And as you delight yourself in the Lord, then suddenly he begins to shape you and mold you into the image that he has designed for your life. And as that begins to happen to you, then your desires stop becoming your own desires and they start becoming his desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because now the things that you want are the things that God wants for you. And so you open up his word and you open up your relationship with God and become passionate about him and passionate about things that relate to the kingdom of God, and it makes a difference. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature 
uh, craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So let the Holy Spirit guide you. And as you do, this is so powerful, you'll discover that your life will begin to desire to be generous and to be forgiving and to be a blessing to people and to go the extra mile. And you actually desire to worship God. Just like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's, 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 folks, who get up on, it's folks who get up on Sunday and say, you know, I'm looking forward to going to church because I know something meaningful is going to happen there. I'm going to encounter God in a way that's going to transform my life. And that's what people become as they delight themselves in the Lord. The problem is, as you grow closer to God, and here's a promise I'll make to you, the devil will try to offer you a stupid bowl of stew. And this never stops. And it doesn't matter how close to God you are and how in love with Jesus you are, the devil will never stop offering you some goofy bowl of stew as a substitute for what is better. Think about this for a minute. This is the last thought and I'll be done. For millennia now, decades, centuries, millennia, the people of God have been using the same phrase. We are the people of God. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know that phrase? We are followers. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people of faith have been saying that forever. We're the people who serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What should it have been? What could it have been? What would it have been, this phrase, if Esau hadn't surrendered his birthright for a stupid bowl of stew? We'd be saying Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, not Jacob. And it's an amazing reality. Because of unchecked desires, Esau traded the ultimate for a bowl of stew. Let me ask you this. Who would do that? Let me say it one more time. Normal people do it every day. And that's why we're not going to be normal. We're we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to seek him and we're going to please him and we're going to be different. We don't care really ultimately what anybody thinks because upside down is much better than normal. We've all come to terms with this. Normal isn't working. Doesn't work. And so we don't want to be on the broad road that leads to destruction. Rather, we want to be courageous men and women of faith who will get on the narrow road and seek the life that God offers us. Well, he has an ear. Let him hear what God is saying to us and to the church in this important hour. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we pray today for those who may be pursuing that bowl of stew or could be tempted by the bowl of stew, that your spirit would lead us out of that normal temptation into the power of godliness and life. There may be some of you in the room right now, you're recognizing there's a bowl of stew that could take you out. And you admit this morning you're vulnerable There are temptations, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life that could compromise your destiny. And we might say, I really do instead want to seek God so passionately that his desires become mine. That by the power of his spirit, I would rise above the lower, natural, lesser desires of this world, the lesser things. And that I would truly desire what pleases him. If that's you today, you're in the room or you're somewhere on our campus or you're listening online 
Those of you who would say, I really do, I, I don't want to be so foolish as to sell out for a stupid bowl of stew. I want to live in such a way that would please him. If that's your desire today, would you just lift your hand up? Just lift it up. Quickly put it back down. Thank you. so That's so great. Now, God, I pray for those who have been indulging in stew. I pray that your spirit would set them free. God, as we confess our sins, we know you are faithful to forgive. And so I pray the liberating presence of your spirit and power would be released in our lives today. Make us soft and pliable in your hands, shifting our desires from the immediate to the ultimate. Transform our desires so they become your desires. God, give us hearts that are moved by the things that move your heart. God, give us a heart for those things that excite your heart. Give us your desires so we could please you in every way. And there are some of you who are still praying. Some of you are going to recognize, we can call it what it is. You're on the broad road. You're living like everyone else. Your life looks like everyone else. You spend money like everyone else. Your time's like everyone else. There's really no difference. And you're going to recognize you're not walking with and serving the God represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize, look, normal is not working. I want to be different. How do I get on the narrow road? Let me tell you what you can't do. You can never be good enough to earn your way onto the narrow road. Jesus said, you step through the gate. And he said very clearly, I'm the gate. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So today you need to be honest and open and admit, I'm not walking with him. I do not know him. And so when you call on Him, here's what He's going to do. Jesus, the Son of God, will forgive every sin that you've ever committed. He will wash those sins away. He will make you pure as if you've never, ever sinned. You'll become a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, everything becomes new. That's the promise. And that's why some of you are here today. Some of you are listening to me today. As you call on Him, you'll be filled with His Spirit. You will not be the same. You will leave the broad path which leads to destruction. You know it does. And you will enter on the narrow road. And for those of you who would say, that's me. I don't know him. But today I'm ready. Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I want to know your life, your forgiveness, your grace, your power. So you'd say, Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand? If that's, if that's you, good, good, good. So glad. Now everybody praying aloud with those taking this step. Pray after me, out loud. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me. And he rose again so I could live. Fill me with your spirit. I will always serve you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.